This morning our scripture will be uh, from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse 22. So either follow along on the screen or in, on your own copy of God's Word as we read again from 1 Peter, beginning in chapter 1, verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for one another, love one another deeply. From the heart, for you have been born again, not from perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word of That was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you, and Lord, we are uh, just so thankful for your mighty saving hand. Not because of any work or deed that we have done or accomplished, Father, but only through your grace, you've made a way for us to be a part of your family. Your son Jesus died on the cross for us to save us from our sins. He rose from the dead on the third day, overcoming death and hell and the grave. And now he is by your right hand. And Lord, but we know his spirit is still here among us. Your spirit is among us, Lord. And so we're so thankful that we are part of the family of God. We're so thankful that uh, even though we are separated physically, that in spirit we are together worshiping uh, your holy name. And so we pray that today that, that uh, God, what we get, what we receive as we dive into your word, Lord, that it would honor you as we seek to worship you by drawing closer to you, and that, Lord, we'd be changed and made more like Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Mother's Day. Mother's Day brings back all sorts of memories, doesn't it? For most of us who've, who've had gatherings and, you know, interestingly enough, over the years as, as an adult, I've, um, you know, I've been a pastor, I've been an uh, education minister or a youth minister, but basically my whole adult life, I've had a job on Sunday. So that's kind of made it hard for me to see uh, my mom on a Sunday, I, you know, try to, try to call. We had a good little chat this morning. Um, but, uh, you know, so a lot of Mother's Day memories, though, I just kind of look back uh, to, to earlier days when, uh, when I was younger and uh, my mother or my grandmother's, what I can remember of them, and, and I think back to those special times. And, you know, a lot of times those involve really big family gatherings and lots of food is involved, Right? That, that's just part of it. We, we celebrate with, with food, with tons of food. Uh, 
But the interesting thing is, and, and your family may be different, but a lot of families on these special days, because there's so much food to be, to be cooked and lots of relatives have to make it over, you might not eat lunch at the normal time. Um, it may not be at 12, it might be at 12.30 or 1 or 1.30 or 2. And, and, and as a kid, you know that it's going to be good, but you're also dying. You think you are literally dying. You think that you are about to fade away right then and there because you are so hungry. And, and what you do is you try to sneak around, tiptoe around where mom or grandma doesn't see, and you try to pull out a little snack from the cabinet. But before you know it, you're going to hear those famous words spoken in a loving but stern voice from your mother or grandmother. And they're going to say, don't spoil your appetite. Don't you spoil your appetite. Because they know the big thing is coming. And, and by the way, they know it would be miserable for you. Because whether you spoil your appetite or not, when you get there at grandma's house, you're going to be force-fed. You know, a little, oh, you didn't eat enough. You look too skinny. Let me give you a little more. A lot of us can, you know, blame how we are now on that. With, hey, Grandma did it to me, you know. So, but we heard those words so often in life, don't spoil your appetite. And, and what that was, it seemed like torture at the time. But our moms were trying to teach us that, hey, whatever little junk or candy or, you know, junky snack food you eat right now, that's not what you really need to be nourished. You need to wait because there's a meal coming, and that meal is going to have the nutrients, and it's going to have the good stuff. And see, so your moms and your grandmoms, they wanted you to grow up big and strong. And they knew that a diet full of junk food uh, wasn't going to do it. And so they warned us to not spoil our appetite. Well, this morning, we kind of have a, a, a message very similar uh, from the Apostle Peter. Don't spoil your spiritual appetite. Don't spoil your spiritual appetite. And so I want us to go through these verses we've read and see what Peter had to say here. He starts off in verse 22. He says, now you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. And he's talking about, hey, you've obeyed the truth in the sense of you have trusted in Jesus Christ. And so you have been cleansed and you've been forgiven. Okay. So now that you've done that. He says, you, so that you have a sincere love for one another, love one another deeply from the heart. Can you imagine a family gathering and kids start to squabble? And mama or grandmama says, all I wanted was for the family to get along, right? I want everybody to be here. And I want everybody to get along. And Peter's kind of saying that same thing. Would you all get along? Would you understand that once you have entered into the faith, once you have been born again, not only are you uh, in a relationship now with God as your father, but you have a relationship with other believers as your brothers and sisters. You guys are now um, bonded together as family. And while the, the Bible often tell, talks about God's love, you know, we've heard about the agape love. That is the love that loves um, just without looking for anything in return, that special kind of love that God has for us. Peter is also saying, look, besides the fact that you, yes, you're a Christian, you're supposed to love everyone, he uses a different word, and, and it's the phileo, it's the, the brotherly or sisterly love, that not only are you as a Christian supposed to have a, a general love for all mankind, because God does, 
But with other believers, with your church family, there's supposed to be an extra special closeness with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you know, this is not unique to Peter. All throughout the New Testament, we're told that we're supposed to love everybody, okay? We're not given the, the open door to hate anybody. That's not part of the Christian message, no matter what you may have heard or seen. But, he, but the Bible does say there's supposed to be an extra special love that, that goes beyond. It's a whole other level of love that we have for our brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, Jesus said that would be the defining mark of a church. That would be the one way that a watching world would know who his followers really are. Not because of how big their numbers were, not because of what a fancy building they built or the great programs they had. He he said, all men will know you by this, that you love one another. That is the sign of a group of people who are really belonging to Jesus, that they actually really love one another. And he says this, this is just, as it goes on, okay, this is just laying on this idea. He says this, for you've been born again, not of imperishable seed, but of, I mean, not of perishable seed, that is temporary, but of imperishable or eternal through the living and enduring word of God. All people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, you know, you love a whole lot of things in life, but you need to understand that this family that you have now entered into by faith, this isn't just a this-lifetime relationship. These are eternal relationships that you have. You know, recently, because of graduation and all that kind of stuff, I started thinking about, you know, some of the songs that, that, that we have. And, and every generation kind of has its new songs that are special tearjerkers, you know, when kids graduate. Well, in my generation, it was Michael W. Smith, Friends Are Friends Forever. I mean, every time there was a graduation or baccalaureate service or whatever, yes, we'd all, I mean, it's like kumbaya. You know, we'd all hold hands and wave and we'd cry our eyes out, friends are friends forever. Well, that's actually very biblically accurate. You may not like the song, you may think it's outdated musically, but the message of it is that He said, friends are friends forever if the Lord's the Lord of them. In other words, if you have a relationship with someone who is a believer, that is a forever relationship. And so rather than treating relationships as disposable, as throwaway, like we often do, you know, instead of working through issues, like when we get really mad at some, well, I don't need them anymore. I'll just go find new friends. We understand, hey, I have a relationship with this person that lasts forever maybe I should go ahead and work things out. Maybe I should, should be loving. And so Peter is here is saying to the church, oh God, your heavenly father, just like your parents want you to all get along and just love one another. He's saying God so much wants to see his children loving one another. But he, he switches then in chapter 2 to the idea of an appetite. Now I'm going to kind of skip verse 1 and then come back to it. Um, But chapter 2, verse 2, he says, Like newborn babes crave, crave 
crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. We tend to think of cravings as something we have no control over, right? You know, uh, we, we, oh, I just got a craving out of nowhere. Oh, or you flung a craving on me because you started talking about that, and now I got to have it, you know. And, and, but he says, actually, we have a little bit of control over it. He says, because otherwise, how could he command us to crave if we didn't have a little bit of control? You see, we, what we think about, what we put ourselves through and, and into and immerse ourselves in, those things affect us eventually. Have you ever started uh, binge-watching a next Netflix show? And, I mean, you've just, you know, watched and watched and watched, and we won't even say how many episodes we watch. We don't embarrass anybody. But you've watched so much that you wake up the next morning, and you've had really weird dreams, and they're all about the characters in that Netflix show you watched. Okay, what you've done by putting that much of that show over and over, watching more and more episodes, you've kind of taught yourself to have an appetite for that show. And you look forward to the next, and, and your mind is just constantly thinking about it. He's saying here, listen, I've got something that I want you to focus on, that I want you to so put yourself into that it just permeates every part of you, that your mind is always thinking about it. And, and that is the pure word of God. And, and he says, like a newborn baby. Now, this is interesting. There's a couple of other places in Scripture, one, I believe, in 1 Corinthians, another in Hebrews, where we get a contrast between milk being for, you know, newborns, and then, but hey, you got to grow up and move on to the meat or the solid food. <clears throat> that, that, that's a, a great point that's made in those two books, but that Peter's not talking about that right here. He's likening all of us, all believers of all ages, whether we're mature or immature or whatever. He's saying, imagine that you're like a newborn baby. Now, you know, we just take it for granted sometimes that a baby's going to be born and then a baby's going to be hungry and, and eat and sleep and do the stuff that goes along with it and, you know, repeat the cycle. But if you've ever had a child yourself or had a close friend or family member who had a child that just didn't have an appetite, you know how scary that is. If there is not a healthy appetite, if they don't learn to latch on, if, if, they, if they don't crave and... and, and take in that sustenance, all of a sudden we got to take some serious measures and, and families are going to work with the doctors and say, how do we make sure that this child is nourished? Because without that craving, without that appetite for the milk that that baby desperately needs, then, then the health is going to falter. The growth that's supposed to happen will not be there. We, we never like it when we see a, a baby's weight go down. We want to see it go up. We want to see that growth take place. And, and so Peter here is saying, listen, all of you guys, all of you men, women, boys, and girls, all of you who call upon the name of the Lord and, and name the name of Christ and say that you're a believer, you should all work on developing a craving. 
Because that craving is natural at first. When you first come to Christ, you're excited and, and you know that, about Jesus. And, and that's why he says, if you've tasted to see that the Lord is good, that is, you've already had a taste. You've really come to Jesus. You really know him. You were excited about him. But then somehow you've lost that excitement. Somehow you've lost that craving. And instead of moving forward in, in, in health and growing, all of a sudden something's going backwards. He said, that is not good. That's not good physically uh, for a baby, and it's not good for those who've been born again. We need to maintain the hunger and the thirst for God, and we meet him through his word as the Holy Spirit works as the Holy Spirit who's in us as believers works when we are reading and we are praying and we are seeking God, we are worshiping him. God says, hey, I want you to have that craving because I want to see you flourish. I don't want to just see you exist and barely get by and kind of be a runt, spiritually speaking, I want to see you flourish. Now, he tells us this, though, that there's some things that can absolutely positively ruin our appetite. Not only do we have to have that appetite for the things of God and for his word, he says there's some things we got to get rid of, okay? Maybe clean out the cabinet, so to speak. Uh, that we need to not, not be sneaking off and trying to get into these things because if we get a hold of these things, they're actually going to spoil our appetite for the things of God and we're not going to love him and love others the way we should. And he gives us that warning list in verse 1. He says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Do you notice the, the things he puts here can be, Christ, quote, Christian sins? And what do I mean by that is, you know, we, we understand the biggies. Oh, man, you've, you've murdered someone, or oh, you've stolen from someone, or oh, you committed this sexual sin, or, you know, some of these biggie things. But then a lot of believers who think themselves very spiritual, because they haven't done the list of what they consider to be big, important sins. Yet they have sins of the heart. And these sins of the heart are spoiling their appetite for the true word, the nourishing spiritual food that they need. And, and, and so God is warning us, telling us, look, you know, you can be churchified all you want, but if you have these things spoiling your appetite for God, you're not growing. You may be religious. You may go through lots of liturgy and act religious activity, but you're not really growing spiritually. So let's look at each of these things. Malice. The idea is evil intent. Get rid of any evil intent toward anyone you have. If you have some intent, and, and I'm not just talking about that, oh, you've made definite plans. If there's somebody in your heart that has hurt you or wronged you or that you're upset with, 
and your mind keeps focusing on that. You're allowing yourself to say, oh, I can't wait. One day they're going to get what's coming to them, or I'm going to get them back when there's the opportunity. That is poisoning your appetite for the Word of God. He says, get rid of that. Of all deceit. You know, we're to be people of truth. Uh, it really, really bothers me. Now, I'm not going to say any of us are perfect, okay? We're not, all right? But it really, really bothers me when people who loudly and proudly proclaim the name of Christ are willing to spread untrue things on a heart, in a heartbeat. They don't check to see whether it's really true. Um, if, if I just, oh, well, I know their motive. They didn't tell me or they told me, but I know that's not true. I know what really is. And, and we just spread stuff because we want to. God says, no, it's killing your appetite. Get rid of that deceit. Get rid of hypocrisy. That's the whole, I'm holier than you. I'm better than you. Get rid of all that stuff where you're trying to pretend like you're something that you're not. God has called us to live authentic Christian lives where we are vulnerable and we admit that we're broken and scarred and sinful just like everybody else, and we all need Him. And so if you've positioned yourself as Mr. or Miss Spiritual and that you are so much better than everybody else, Paul says, get rid of that. I mean, excuse me, Peter says, get rid of that. It's ruining your appetite for godly things. Envy, is it eating you up that someone else isn't hurting the way you are or that they're more successful than you are? Maybe they've done the same things you did, but they got a better result. Maybe they did the same bad things that you did, but they didn't get caught. And they went on and seemingly flourished. And you're so envious over what's happened in their life. You know, your focus is completely in the wrong place. Because if you're envious, that means your focus is on that person that you're envying. Rather than your focus being on Jesus where it needs to be. And so we need to get rid of envy. We need to get over the, but God, uh, this and this and they and them. and, And quit comparing yourself to everybody else and simply say, hey, God, I'm grateful for what you've done for me. Allow me to be content. Allow me, Lord, to to understand and really be thankful for the blessings you've given me. And and then the final one was slander of every kind. Man, we've got to be so careful of this one. We are, man, as Christians, we're guilty pretty often. We're guilty of this in person. But we're also guilty of this online a lot. Uh, Years and years ago, the church I served while I was still the uh, youth pastor, there was an email conversation between two ladies that went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And uh, there, there wasn't quite all the Facebook stuff and everything there is now. But there was email, and they had gotten into email. And um, in the, the back and forth of this email, over time, they had ripped apart pretty much everybody in the church, including the pastor and staff and everyone else, you know, under the guise of, well, you know, we need to pray for so-and-so, you know. Um, and, and so they'd done this back and forth and back and forth. But eventually, one day, they, they sent a, quote, prayer request to the pastor, 
one of these ladies did, but they didn't realize that every conversation they'd ever made was attached. And, and, and you know, I can only imagine when they realized all the bad things that they had said about one another. And when that came out, what in the world did they think? <laughs> I think I know a little bit about what the pastor thought. But, uh, you know, it's, it's just, we don't think about that kind of stuff so often. We just, just gladly engage in gossip and slander. And, man, online we see something negative about someone, and we'll share and repost it in a heartbeat because it fits what we expect. Or maybe somebody, well, they're a good person, and I'm sure they checked it out, so it's safe for me to share it. And, of course, they probably got it from someone else. They thought it was safe. We need to be careful that we are not slanderers, that we are not talking down, folks. This doesn't mean that we can't um, uh, just point clearly to what's truth and what's error. We've got to do that. Um, But we have to know that God doesn't want us to slander people. So here's the big picture. Peter here, almost like a spiritual mom talking to his children, says, you know what would make me so proud, so happy, is that if all of you were together, if you were unified, if you were here together, and if you all got along, if you all loved one another deeply the way that I love you, and, and, and on top of that, he says, and I, I love you so much that I want to see you grow to reach your fullest potential. But there's some spiritual junk food. There's some spiritual trans fat or whatever you want to call it. There's some spiritual unhealthy stuff that will destroy the good appetite you have for the things of God and will keep you from growing in him. So avoid those things and instead train yourselves by your habits and your practices to crave God's word. You know, I'm, I'm uh, very blessed to be part of a family of four uh, children. So it's a family of six growing up. And uh, there was a nine-year gap. There was kind of like two sets. My sister Sherry is the oldest, and then Steve came a couple of years after her. Then there was this nine-year gap, and then I came along. And, and then a couple of years later, my brother Rob came along. So, um, you know, it's great growing up with all this family, but it was almost like I had another set of parents because they were like nine and 11 years older than me. And, 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 of course, you know, they tell me and Rob, Steve and Sherry say, hey, you guys were so spoiled. I mean, you got it so easy. Y'all were the babies. Y'all just everything went your way. And we had it rough. And you thought you had to work hard in the garden. We worked twice as hard. And yeah, you're with me, right? They just went on and on about this silly stuff. Well, your birth order will determine, you know, what you think about what they said. But the reality is they did do a lot of stuff. Uh, They really, really did. And Uh, I'm so grateful for that today. I don't know if I really was growing up, but um, one of the things that uh, my my brother, my older brother Steve used to do is he was the one that got the the corsage every year for Mother's Day. He made sure that mom got that flower, okay? And by the way, there's a fascinating article about the woman who invented Mother's Day, 
and um, she couldn't stand what ended up coming out of it. You know, all the, the commercialization and the, how the, the flower and candice, candy and greeting card industry makes millions or billions of dollars. That drove her crazy. That was not really her intent. She gave away a few flowers, carnations, the first year in honor of her mother. And, and you know, so, but kind of like if you've ever watched the, uh, the Charlie Brown or the Peanuts Christmas special, and you remember how upset Charlie Brown was about Christmas being commercialized? Well, she felt that way about her holiday that she created in honor of her mother. Well, um, but anyway... Once upon a time, almost everybody, it seems like, got kind of flowers for their mom. And that, that practice has faded out to some degree. But Steve was the one that always got, um, took care of getting mom a croissant for Mother's Day. And every year he'd go out and he'd be so proud that he took care of it. And, you know, he went and got this croissant. And, and, and you know, had, she had one on Mother's Day, even when other mothers didn't. Our mother had one. And he felt so good about it. And, Eventually, after a while, I don't know if he was a late teenager or in his early 20s, somewhere in there, um, but, but mom said to him one day, said, Steve, I appreciate this so much, but you don't have to go on um, buying me that corsage every year. It's, it's okay if you don't buy me that, you know. Her very polite way of saying, I, I really don't need that anymore. And, you know, Steve took it wonderfully. He said, well, mom, that's great. And while we're on that subject, those slippers that you buy me for Christmas every year, I don't really need those either. Well, whatever your tradition is, however you do it, I hope you honor your mom today. Uh, a call or a, a Facebook post or, you know, honor. You can still honor your mom even if she's not around for you to get in touch with her. But honor your mom today. But also, I want to say, honor your Heavenly Father every day, including today. And most of you, like me, were taught so much about our Heavenly Father through your earthly mother. And honor her by learning these lessons that Peter has for us today. Mainly, God has put you as part of forever family that he wants you to love, love him and love others. And that to grow in that love and in that faith, you've got to crave the things of God. And if you really want to grow, you also have to make sure that you get rid of those things that would spoil your appetite. That malice, that envy, that slander, all that kind of junk. Don't let it spoil your appetite. Instead, learn to crave what God has for you. Pray with me today. Heavenly Father, we just thank you and praise you so much for what you have done for us. We know that, that you love us. We love you not because we loved first, but because you first loved us. God, you reached out for us. Your word tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You didn't wait and see how good we might turned out, turn out. Lord, you knew we were all flawed. We'd all sinned and fallen short. And yet your love and your mercy reached out and drew to each of us. 
God, help us to love one another, to love our family, to love the things of God, the word that, that just grows us and nourishes us. And Father, keep us far away from those things that would hinder our faith and our walk with you. Lord God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.